Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. We have been in a series that we have called The Elephant in the Room. And this morning, we're going to talk about the biggest of them all, the biggest elephant of them all. An elephant that we live with every single day of our lives, and that is this elephant that we call death. You see, one day, someday, all of us are going to face death. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how young. It doesn't matter how old. It doesn't matter how rich. It doesn't matter how poor. You see, no one escapes death. Now, here's what I know. Even though we know no one escapes death, none of us want to talk about death. As a matter of fact, we do everything we can to avoid talking about death. We even call it by other names. But here's what I know. That doesn't change a thing. You see, the truth of the matter is death is coming for us all. And here's what I've discovered. The older we get, the bigger and the bigger and the bigger that elephant becomes. Until one day, someday, we're looking at that elephant that we call death square in the eyes. And when we do, when we face death, regardless of who we are, regardless of what our background may be, every one of us has a question that we're going to ask. And that is, what happens when we die? What happens after I breathe my last breath? Is death the end of it all? Is death a comma? Or is death a period in this sentence that we call life? Now that question, what happens when we die, has been around since the beginning of time. Everyone has asked that question. As a matter of fact, in the book of Job, what many people say is the oldest book in the Bible, we read this question. If a man dies, will he live again? When we die, when we breathe our last breath, is that it? Or will we live again? Now, throughout history, there have been three popular views. The first view is this. Death is the end. Atheists today are the ones who hold to this view. Ellen Johnson, who was the president of American Atheists until 2008, said this. She said, the atheist accepts the reality that when you die... That is the end. The only fulfillment, the only joy, the only happiness that you will ever know is right now. These were the ones that, that followed the philosophy that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. He, he quoted the philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. And if that's the case, if death is all we have to look forward to, then then why isn't the philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry, a good philosophy to follow? So death is the end. The second popular view today is that, that we become one with God. Now, people who believe this are called pantheists. Many 
Eastern religions and New Age religions hold to this. They believe that though we may go through many different reincarnations, we will eventually, every one of us, merge into this great stream that is called God. We will lose our identity and we will all be a part of the collective God. Now, the final view is this. The soul continues forever, but the body is destroyed. Now, in Paul's day, it was the Platonists who believed this. They, they followed the philosophy of Plato. Now, unfortunately, there are many confused people today, even Christians, who still hold to this view. They believe that when we die, the physical body ceases to exist. It rots, it returns to the dust of the earth, but our soul continues forever. And and when we die, our soul floats off somehow as a disembodied soul. And that soul lives forever floating among the clouds. Now understand, that's not what the Bible teaches. And that is not what Christians believe. You see, we have a totally different view when it comes to what happens when we die. You see, we believe that we have an incredible future to look forward to in a new body, experiencing a new heaven and a new earth. You see, we as Christians believe that what happened to Jesus will happen to each and every one of us. You see, Jesus is a pattern that each and every one of us are going to follow. Here's what the Bible teaches. Each and every one of us live, and then we die, and then we wait, and then we're resurrected. We live, we die, we wait, and then we're resurrected. Look look at the, the, uh, the story of Jesus. Jesus was born in a small town called Bethlehem. And he began to live his life. He worked as a carpenter for many of those years. And and then he lived as an itinerant teacher, an an itinerant evangelist, traveling around, sharing truths. He lived. But then one day, he was arrested and he was nailed to a cross. And before he died, before he breathed his last breath, Jesus said this. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Bible says that he died. At that moment, his body ceased to exist. It continued to to be um, on the cross at that moment, but it ceased to live. Yet his soul, his spirit went to the Father. They took his body down that was now dead. They prepared it for burial. They put it in a tomb. His body was in a tomb. His spirit was with the Father. That was Friday. Friday came. The disciples left. Jesus' family left. They went home. They went to bed. And they waited. Saturday came. The Sabbath, nothing happened. They got up, they did what they did on the Sabbath, nothing happened. Saturday night, they went to bed. Sunday morning, they got up. When the sun rose on Sunday morning, the sun rose on Sunday morning. 
The ladies went to the tomb to, 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 to anoint the body of Jesus. When they got there, there was an angel that met them and they said, He is not here. He is alive. He is risen. Go tell his disciples. And so the ladies began to run and tell the disciples. But on their way, they met Jesus. They bowed down at his feet. They touched his feet. They looked at him. They saw him. They touched him. Jesus said, go tell my disciples. And they ran and went to tell the disciples. And and over the next 40 days, Jesus physically appeared to the disciples. He was seen by them. He talked to them. He even ate fish with them. He was in a body. It was a New body. It was somewhat of a different body. And yet it was the same body. It was Jesus. The same yet better. The resurrection. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus waited. And then Jesus was resurrected. And the same thing happens to each and every one of us. You see, that is the process that everyone goes through. Listen, both believer and non-believer alike. Both believer and non-believer live, they die, they wait, and then they are resurrected. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You see, the Bible says that Adam's sin brought death to everyone. But Jesus' resurrection brings life to everyone. You see, Jesus' resurrection is God's assurance that everyone will be raised. The only question is what will we be raised to? In John chapter 5, Jesus said this. He said, don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. All the dead will hear the voice of God and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. You see, the Bible teaches that everyone will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected to eternal life. Some will be resurrected to eternal judgment. Now, as Christians, we believe this for two reasons. We believe it because of the example of Jesus, and we also believe it because of the authority of God's Word. Jesus was resurrected. He was resurrected as not only the victory over sin, but as an example of what was going to happen to us. And because the Word of God teaches that, we believe it. Look what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to scriptures. He appeared to Peter. Then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom were still living, though some have fallen asleep. There he appeared. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me. Also was one abnormally born. And then verses 12 through 13. Paul says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And it's hard 
for us 2,000 years removed to realize the significance of what Paul said. You see, in our day and age, we hear skeptics, we, we hear doubters say, you can't prove the resurrection. But in Paul's day, listen, in Paul's day, there were people, many people, that you could go to and you could ask, did you see Jesus? Did he really come back to life? If you didn't believe it, you could go and you could talk to people who saw him, who touched him, who broke bread with him once he was resurrected from the dead. You see, Paul is saying that the resurrection is a substantiated fact. You cannot argue with it. Do you see that word appeared? It is found four times in these verses. It's important. Because the word literally means to physically see with our eyes. And Paul tells us that there were numerous people who physically saw the resurrected Jesus with their eyes. One of them was James, the half-brother of Jesus. If you remember, Jesus' brothers and sisters thought that he was crazy. They thought that he was mad. They wanted to... Get him to stop doing what he was doing. They were, he was giving them a bad name. And James was, was one of these brothers and sisters. But when Jesus appeared to James, James didn't think that Jesus was crazy anymore. He began to believe in the resurrection. Then Paul says, many of those who he appeared to are still alive. In other words... Paul is saying, don't take my word for it. You can take a trip to Jerusalem and you can find people who will tell you exactly what they've seen. In other words, Paul is saying, examine the evidence, see if it really happened. And many of those who saw Jesus lost their lives proclaiming, we've seen him. He is alive. How can we say anything different? The evidence was and still is there if we'll only look. In the 1740s, there were two men, George Littleton, Gilbert West, who both went to Oxford University in England. And both of them agreed to research two key points of the Christian faith. They were both atheists, they were both agnostics, and they were attempting to dis prove the claims of Christianity. Littleton set out to prove that Saul of Tarsus never converted to Christianity. And, and then Gilbert West sought to prove that, that the resurrection of Jesus never happened. And they decided that for one year they would do painstaking research. And then they would come back together and they would look at one another's research. And as they proceeded, they eventually became convinced, both of them independently, that Christianity was true. West eventually wrote a, a little booklet called The Observations on the History and Evidences of the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Littleton wrote a, a, a lengthy article that was entitled Observations on the Conversion and Apostleship of St. Paul. You see, here's what I know. Any of us who look at the evidence will come to believe Jesus defeated death. Jesus is alive. So Paul tells us Jesus was resurrected and, and so will we. Then he gives us a synopsis on the timetable on, 
on how this is going to happen. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, but each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Now, he begins with Christ, and he calls Jesus' resurrection the first fruits. Now, the first fruits were always the first offering of the harvest. The first fruits were a reminder that the harvest was yet to come. And you see, Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection that every human being will experience. Then, he says this, when Jesus comes, when he comes, those who belong to him will be resurrected. You see, that teaches us two important truths. One, Jesus is coming back. Jesus did not leave planet earth never to return. Jesus is coming back to earth. And then he tells us when he comes back, he will resurrect those who belong to him. Now, Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. Listen to what Paul says here. He said, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died, rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you, we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, there's some disagreement over some of the details of the when and the how this is going to happen. Some say that that the next thing that's going to happen is is a rapture. Jesus is going to come and he's going to rapture his church, those who truly believe to him. And then there is going to be a time of great tribulation. Revelation 6 tells about great tribulation, the wrath of the Lamb. There is tribulation that the church has always gone through. But in Revelation 6, we're told that there is going to be a great tribulation that is God's anger being poured out on a sinful world. And so there are some, including myself, who believe that the church is going to be raptured. And at that time, that's the first part of the resurrection. And then those who die in the Lord during that tribulation, who give their life to him, they will be raptured as Jesus comes with us. At the end of that tribulation period. Now there's others who say no. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that that believers are going to go through the tribulation. And let me just say that if that's true, you better be ready. Because it's going to be awful. It's going to be terrible. I love what one person said one time. They said, I'm praying for a pre-tribulation rapture. But I want to be ready for a post-tribulation rapture. Here's what I know. Here's what you can't debate. Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, he will resurrect those who believe in him. And then notice what he says. So he says, Jesus is the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who believe in him. And then notice what it says. Then the end will come. That word then, there are two Greek words for then. One means instantly, then. 
The other means after a period of time. It's interesting because the word then here is after a period of time. So Jesus will be resurrected. He was resurrected 2,000 years ago. When Jesus comes back, he will resurrect those who believe in him, those who know him. And then there's going to be a pause. There's going to be a period of time. And then the end will come. Now, what does the end involve? Well, there's a lot of things that happen in the end. But one of them is Jesus is going to set up God's kingdom. And he is going to rule and reign on the throne. And he is going to put under his foot every enemy of God. That's coming. Understand. And so Paul tells us about this timetable. Jesus is the first fruits. Then there's going to be a resurrection when those who belong to Jesus will be resurrected. And then the end is going to come. When Jesus will put under his foot every enemy of God. We read about that in Revelation 20. The great white throne judgment. And he tells about death being thrown into the lake of fire. And Paul says death is the final enemy that will be defeated. So you need to understand that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. You and I will be the second fruits of that resurrection. But then everyone will be resurrected who doesn't know Jesus and they will stand before his throne. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that we believe in the resurrection of the body? Well, Paul gives us several reasons. One, if it's not true, Christianity is useless. Listen to what he says. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. That word useless means empty. It means worthless. It means a waste of time. Listen, if Jesus is dead, I'm wasting my time being here preaching. You're wasting your time being here listening. And to be honest with you, I don't know who is more foolish. Me for standing up here and preaching this or you sitting out there and listening to it. You see, if if Jesus is dead... If Jesus is still in a grave somewhere in Palestine, the Christian message is useless. You see, the meat of our message is not the power of positive thinking. It is not some feel-good, self-help, do-the-best-you-can message. No, our message is Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. You see, if Jesus is dead, everything that we're doing here is useless, and our faith is in vain. You see, it's not faith that saves. It's the object of your faith that saves. And if your faith is in a dead object, that dead object is never going to do you any good. So if there is no resurrection, our faith is useless. Christianity is useless. Second, if the resurrection is not true then the Bible can't be trusted. Notice what it says in verse 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And notice what Paul was saying. He's saying if Jesus is not resurrected, then Paul and everyone else who claimed that he was resurrected is a false witness. Paul didn't say we're mistaken. Paul didn't say that we were wrong. Paul said, if Jesus isn't alive, we have been false witnesses. And you know what a false witness is? A false witness is someone who gets on the stand in the courtroom and knowingly, willingly, deliberately perjures himself and becomes a liar. 
And Paul's saying, if Jesus isn't alive, it's not that I'm mistaken. No, I have lied to you. And everyone else who has said he is alive has lied to you. Listen, listen very carefully. You and I can be mistaken about the resurrection of Jesus. We were not there. We did not touch him with our hands. We did not hear him with our physical ears. We did not break bread with him. We did not see him walk through a wall. But they did. You and I, if Jesus is dead, we're wrong. We're mistaken. We've made a horrible mistake. But not them. (laughs) They were false witnesses. They were liars. And here's the thing. Many of them, most of them, went to horrific death proclaiming he is alive. So Paul said, if if what we say is, is not true, we're false witnesses. And if Paul is a false witness and the disciples are false witnesses, then let me tell you, this book is a false witness. And you need to take it home, throw it in the garbage can, and never open it up again. And, and then third... Paul says this. He says, if there is no resurrection, forgiveness is impossible. Notice what he says in in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You see, our forgiveness hinges on the resurrection. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. If Jesus is dead, we are still in our sins. We have all the guilt, all the shame, all the sorrow that goes along with it. But to be honest with you, if there is no resurrection, why does it matter? Fourth thing Paul says. If there is no resurrection, those who are dead are without hope. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. The word lost means destroyed. When, when you've been by the bedside of someone you love and you've held their hand as they breathe their last breath and you've looked forward to that one day reunion that's going to take place, Paul says that if there is no resurrection, there is no reunion. There's no hope. Everybody that has died before us, they're decaying, they're rotting. And you will never see them again. But then the final one, I think, is the most important. He says, if there is no resurrection, then we have wasted our life. We've wasted our life. Look look at verses 19 and 32. Paul says this. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And then verse 32. He says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century philosopher and physicist. And he came up, he was a believer, and he came up with something called Pascal's Wager. And Pascal's wager said a thinking man, a rational man, will come to the conclusion that Jesus is alive. And even if he has doubts, he's going to live his life as if Jesus is alive because it's the smart thing to do. It's the wise thing to do. It's the rational thing to do. What have you lost if Jesus isn't alive? You've lost nothing. What have you gained if Jesus is alive? You've gained everything. And I appreciate what Pascal said. And to be honest with you, I've used that in talking to non-believers at times. But I want you to hear, that's not what Paul said. 
Paul said, if, if Jesus be not alive, then don't waste your life because it is a waste of time. You see, Paul faced constant death as a believer. He talks about fighting wild beasts. We don't know what that means. We don't know whether he had to go into the Colosseum. We don't know whether it's talking about an angry mob. But what we do know is in 2 Corinthians 10, we have a synopsis of what Paul went through. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He had a difficult life. And he did all of that because he had what? He had a future hope. He was saying death is not the end. There's something else. When persecution began under Nero, Nero, who was on the throne when Paul was preaching, would take Christians and he would use them as human torches in his garden. Nero would take Christians and he would sew them into animal skins and then sick wild dogs on them. He would herd them like cattle into the Colosseums, the arenas, and then he would feed them to the lions. The Romans tolerated many religions, but if you were a Christian, hear me, it was a death sentence. Paul is saying, why would you live this kind of life? A life of sacrifice, a life of of almost certain death, if it's not true. If there is no resurrection, if we have nothing to look forward to, don't waste your life. It's not worth it. But praise God. Listen, there is a resurrection. Listen to what it says in verse 20. But Christ has indeed raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So what will it be like? I mean, we're going to be resurrected. What will it be like? Well, well let's read this passage. And I, I know it's a long passage, but, but Paul says it better than I can. And so notice beginning in verse 35. He said, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one thing, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another. And stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, a life-given spirit. The spiritual did not become or did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. 
We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at that last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what you need to remember. When we are resurrected, we will be like Jesus. Now, let me fill in a few blanks for you. Paul says our bodies will be similar, yet they will be different. And he gives us a picture of a seed. The seed is put in the ground and it dies. And yet when it rises, it looks very different than it did when you planted that seed in the ground. And yet it's the same substance. It's the same plant. It's the same, yet it's different. And when we are resurrected, we are going to be the same, yet we're going to be different. And there's going to be variety. We're not all going to look alike in eternity. Men are going to look like men and women are going to look like women. And you don't even need to use makeup anymore. We don't have to go to the gym anymore. I mean, we're going to have variety. And I'm so glad because I got to tell you, I have a tough time with names and faces. I, I really do. I always have, but as I get older, it gets tougher. And I mean, there are people that, that I talk to and I'm engaged with them and they, they walk out and two hours later, I'm trying to think, what do they look like? Can you imagine how difficult it would be in heaven if everybody looked the same? Hey, Joe, how you doing? I'm not Joe. You look like Joe. I know. Everybody looks like Joe. Praise God there's going to be variety. We're the same, yet we're different. He says our bodies are imperishable. That means they no longer are dying. Our present bodies grow old. They stop working. They eventually give out and die. They decay. They rot. But not our new bodies. The older I get, I've discovered the longer it takes me to recover from injuries. Have you discovered that? You, you who are older, some of you aren't there yet, but you who are older, as you get older, let me tell you, let me just warn you, it takes longer. It takes longer to recover from surgery. It takes longer to recover from injuries. And here's what I've discovered at 54. I'm afraid of 74. Here's why. Because at 54, I've discovered that there are things that just aren't working like they used to work. And, and I have problems I didn't have in my 30s. I'm going, wait a second, what's going on here? That happens. I find myself having to go to the doctor more often because there's something strange happening. That happens as we get older because we have a perishing Body, our body is perishing, but not the new one. It's imperishable. And then he says our bodies will be powerful. They will be stronger and have abilities that we can only dream of. We're going to be able to hike up the Himalayas and see the top, the precipice. 
We're going to be able to explore the rainforest without getting tired. We're going to be able to jump further and run faster and go longer than we've ever gone before. And get this. If our bodies are like Jesus, and they will be, we're going to be able to teleport. Jesus did that. I mean, he was outside the door and all of a sudden, without opening the door, he was inside the door. He just went right through it. I'm sitting here thinking, that's going to be pretty cool. My wife is going to like it because my wife struggled with time. She struggles with, you know, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was so close to when I'm supposed to be there. I'm not going to make it. In eternity, she'll go, that's okay. She's going to be on time. Our bodies are going to be powerful. And then our bodies are going to be spirit filled. They're going to be spiritual. We no longer have to struggle with sin. And I don't know about you, but I got to tell you, I'm excited about that one because, man, I... I don't want to, I don't like it, but, but I, I, I got to be honest, I, I fall to sin, I give in to sin, I, I mess up, I blow it, and, and I still have this sinful nature I, I wrestle with on a daily basis, and I, I'm putting to death that sinful nature, but man, it loves to resurrect itself, and, and praise God, all that sinful nature is going to be done away with. You see... That is our future hope. If, if we have been saved. Go back and look at chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what it says. Now, brothers, I I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if... Your Bible is opened, underline, circle, highlight that word if. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. The number one thing. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. That's the gospel. It's simple, isn't it? Christ died. Not as a victim of a social uprising. Not as a martyr. Christ died for our sins. Christ died voluntarily for my sins and for your sins. Christ died for our sins. The wages of sin is death. He was buried. It wasn't an illusion. He really did die in our place. And then he rose again to defeat sin, defeat death. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again, defeating sin and death. Have you received the gospel? Have you received it? I mean, to receive it, you've got to admit, I got a sin problem. I can't solve. Christ died for my sins. I need a Savior. If you don't want a Savior, you haven't received the gospel. Has Christ died for your sins? Have you placed your hope in his defeat of sin and death by being resurrected from the grave? If you're here and you haven't done that, listen. 
you too will be resurrected at a different time for a different reason. Everyone will be resurrected. The question is, to what? Will you be resurrected to eternal life? Or will you be resurrected to eternal damnation? Those are the only two choices. Now, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. And this is the time that we don't play games. We, we, don't, we don't put on the religious show. This is the time that we get real with God. Because death is coming to everyone. And death is not the end. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Some will go into everlasting life. Some to everlasting condemnation. Damnation, judgment. God doesn't want that for you. That's why Jesus died. But you have to humble yourself. You have to give your life to him. Trust him to be your Savior and Lord. And he will transform you. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you're here and you've never truly received the gospel, the word receive that Paul uses means to to take it into your life. It's not just to hear the facts, it's to receive it, to, to let it become a part of you. If you're here and the gospel has never become a part of your life, then I encourage you today to humble yourself before God. Pray this prayer and accept his gift of eternal life. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning acknowledging my sin I know that I have disobeyed you I know that I don't deserve heaven please forgive me I believe that you died on the cross for my sins Jesus I believe that you rose from the grave defeating sin and death right here in this moment I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving you my life. Take control. I am yours. Thank you for hearing me, Jesus. And thank you for saving me. Amen.